I want you guys to take a moment to just imagine being in a public space, the, your favorite hiking spot, somewhere where you're hunting, and all of a sudden, somebody is questioning you. Why are you here? The uncomfortableness, the feeling of not being welcomed. See, these stories are go unheard. Thank you for joining me for this episode of Keynotes. I'm your host, Marcus Chavez, Communications Director for the Keystone Policy Center. Like most of you, I spent more time in the outdoors this last year than I ever have before. When we were in the throes of physical distancing, I was going on walks around my neighborhood with my kids on nearly a daily basis, and I wasn't the only one taking advantage of the outdoor scenery. According to research from the University of Vermont, outdoor activities saw significant increases in 2020. Those activities with the highest increases including watching wildlife, which saw a 64% increase, gardening, a 57% increase, taking photos or doing art in nature, up 54%, simply relaxing alone outside, up 58%, and of course going on walks, which saw a 70% spike. Our national parks and state parks also saw similar surges in their use as the number of visitors to these areas skyrocketed. Although that is a trend that has been continually on the rise in recent years, leading to other issues that we can address in another podcast. The bottom line is that the outdoors are a place of solace for many, particularly during times of great stress, especially those inflicted on us during the pandemic. But like many other things, there is an inequality for many Americans because not everybody has equal access to these outdoor and green spaces. And even when they do, they're oftentimes made to feel like they are unwelcome. Perhaps one of the most startling takeaways from the pandemic was how it glaringly exacerbated the already existing inequalities faced among marginalized communities and people of color, from healthcare to education, and yes, even spending time outdoors was no exception. Most communities of color are uh, tend to be, was it three times more likely to not have access to any kind of green space? So that could be everything from trees and community gardens to actually parks and and big wilderness areas. So just because of where communities live, again, there's just, there's either they've allowed um, city planning to ignore those communities or um, not invest in those communities in a way where, you know, you can look at two different communities in the same uh, city, for example, and one will have trees and one will not have trees. And you can probably guarantee which one is and isn't a community of color. And so I think when we also talk about all of these issues of how we define or redefine who's outdoors, it's also what the outdoors even looks like. It can just be literally a city park. That is Teresa Martinez, the executive director of the Continental Divide Trail Coalition, highlighting just some of the inequities faced by people of color when it comes to having the same access to enjoying outdoor recreation. And while many of these barriers to the outdoors are indeed physical, she goes on to explain that they are also so much more. Historically, you know, a lot of the places that are protected um, or considered part of our nation's lands, waters, trails, forests, parks, all the things, you know, they're typically in places where you have to travel to get to them. And so, first of all, there's barriers of just getting to places. If people are in a, in a certain eco, uh, socioeconomic status, they can't get there. They don't have vehicles. Um, and then there can be everything from like language barriers to just traditions. You know, the, the national parks 
were founded. It was for the the, the very uh, wealthy to go visit and have these experiences. It wasn't necessarily even envisioned as a place where there was equity. Um, it was for the very special and elite. And so I think traditionally, as we have looked at those pieces, you know, we have, while we, I think people love nature, it's, it's a great time to rethink and reimagine how we look at those places, I would say. Acknowledging these barriers helps us understand the reason behind why historically people of color do not participate in outdoor recreation on the same level as white individuals, at least not within our national parks. Earlier this year, Colorado State Representative Leslie Herod published an op-ed expounding on this issue, citing data from the U.S. Forest Service's Rocky Mountain Research Station. The data found that Black Americans comprise 13% of the U.S. population, but account for only 1% of the visits to national forests. Hispanic and Latinx folks account for more than 17% of the nation's population, but less than 7% of visitation. Meanwhile, white Americans comprise 63% of the population, but accounted for well over 90% of visits to national forests. This imbalance is often reflected in the outdoor industry and members of full-time staff at local, state, and national parks. You put it all together and you can see why the current system can create an unwelcoming environment for people of color. Noe Orgaz, a senior organizing manager and the person whose voice you heard at the top of this episode, shares more insight. If you're working in public lands and you love hiking, at some point you're in a remote, desolate place that's quiet. Imagine when you have to dig internally, emotionally, and just find yourself in that same desolate place and not be able to say anything about it because being at risk of sounding crazy, being dismissed. Being dismissed by authority is probably the hardest thing to hear by law enforcement or any other major agency director or government department. To be told that that's not the way we behave and we have a better code of conduct is dismissive of the experience of individuals. I want to briefly read from Representative Herod's op-ed. She wrote, quote, It is not uncommon for black and brown folks to feel, quote-unquote, othered in green spaces. Whether it's receiving stares from other recreators for not resembling the, quote, typical backpacker, or questioning capability because one has never biked, hiked, fished, or skied before. Close quote. When you factor in all of the systematic, physical, and other barriers, you can see how the inequalities are created. That is why in 2016, the centennial anniversary of the National Park Service, a group of organizations formed the Next 100 Coalition, which saw the anniversary as an opportunity to kick off the next century of conservation and stewardship in America, one that protects our public land heritage for all to access and enjoy. With several of the leaders and organizations involved in the national group being from Colorado, there was a desire to form a state-focused organization in Colorado. And so those leaders formed Next 100 Colorado. And since Keystone Policy Center is based in Colorado and had been involved in the early facilitation of the national group, we were tapped to help facilitate Next 100 Colorado. Next 100 Colorado's mission is to create a more just and equitable parks and public land system. And it thinks about the opportunities and the challenges in three buckets. Um, one is around um, workforce diversity, recognizing that um, the majority of folks working at public lands agencies, um, but also in the outdoor recreation industry and conservation world in general are white. The, the second area is related to kind of the access that, that you brought up and, um, and stakeholder access and engagement in general and making sure both that uh, 
everyone has access to the benefits that parks and public lands and outdoor spaces in general can offer for you know mental health, physical health, um, sort of spiritual connection. And then the third one is around storytelling um, and and making sure that with our you know monuments and public parks and lands that we are telling an accurate um which in some cases is is negative you know story of our, our country's past but also honoring um you know diverse leaders that is mallory huggins a senior project director at the keystone policy center she leads keystone's facilitation effort of next 100 colorado which currently is comprised of nine organizational members and five individual members all of whom are listed on next 100 colorado's website next 100 colorado.org before we get more into the specific initiatives the coalition is leading i first want to acknowledge how unique and critical of a space next 100 colorado creates to address these issues what we hear from members a lot is that no other space like this exists um that uh is led by um, people of color and that focuses all of its efforts on on conservation, public lands management, outdoor recreation, but through the lens of equity. Spaces like this just don't exist. And so the the network itself and just the space um, for, for gathering and sort of relationship building and, and sharing ideas, that alone, I think has has been really valuable for members, at least that's what we've heard. But also the, the um, impact that a group like this can have on the the landscape in Colorado because nobody else is looking at things quite the same. And I think over the last couple of years, we've really seen just lots of different groups coming to Next 100 Colorado saying, you know, hey, we we want your input on this or we want you involved in this. And and I think it's just um, recognition that the voice of the individual members of Next 100 Colorado, but also collectively is is really important. There is real power in people gathering together to share experiences and develop solutions. It is often isolation that perpetuates the systemic imbalances we see in our institutions. Removing that isolation is critical. As Noe Orgaz explains, that is why organizations like Next 100 Colorado are so significant. And when you are in a collective of people who share a common interest and their interest is the outdoors, um, and you're not a person of an affinity group, or at least the majority affinity group, it becomes a topic of discussion. Why am I feeling this way? Am I the only one? And then you slowly realize that you're not alone. So that's why Next 100 Colorado and Next 100 Coalition um, at the national was established was because people for far too long felt excluded and didn't feel like they belonged in the conversation when it comes to outdoor recreation, protecting public spaces, and the environmental movement in general. We're changing that narrative. Next 100 Colorado uh, brings people of color who are um, working experts in this field and in this this work to to the table and and given opportunities to be able to shine and and be and feel welcomed. Teresa Martinez reiterates: No one person can do this work alone. It takes leaders of color, allies, and other accomplices to come together to provide new opportunities for marginalized communities. More and more of us are finding our voices and we're finding community and we're finding we're not alone, both within our community of color, as well as, again, our allies and accomplices. And I think that there's just such a great opportunity right now to um, put all of our collective wisdoms together and really begin to imagine what that triangle looks like and what 
the future can look like with us together, think, reimagining. All of this is in relationship, both to the land and each other. And I think we're starting to learn how to do that better in a way that is healthier and um, really is, is really innovative and has a lot of opportunity for just really new ways of looking at the world. So, especially in conservation. As Martinez explains, Next 100 Colorado is providing a place where conservation and outdoor recreation leaders of color can meet together and develop creative community-based solutions that come from the ground up and most importantly, from the people that they're serving. But how exactly does the coalition go about putting those solutions into action? On the next episode of Keynotes, which will be released this week, we highlight the initiatives Next 100 Colorado is implementing to accomplish its mission. You know, I think our work at Next 100 in Colorado is is very local and place-based, which is great because it really reflects the communities in Colorado. We recently just did a pilot mentoring program, which uh, we can talk about next. Keynotes is a production of the Keystone Policy Center, a 501c3 nonprofit organization based out of Keystone, Colorado, which for more than 45 years has empowered leaders to reach common higher ground. This episode has been made possible by a contribution from the Denver Foundation. If you would like to offer feedback about the podcast or suggest topics for future episodes, please email me at mchavez at keystone.org. That's M-C-H-A-V-E-Z at keystone.org. If you would like to learn more about the Keystone Policy Center, visit our website at keystone.org.